Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. I think this is super common that we don't look at things from the customer's perspective, and so therefore we fail to differentiate the offering. Because if you're focused just on vitamin, you know, I assume vitamin B12 is more or less the same. All too often, I see organizations just trying to copy other people and make things a little bit different at the edges. And that doesn't cut it, basically. A lot of times where you see these kind of the commoditization of products or the commoditization of experiences, it's a lot of times where people are competing within a mutually agreed upon structured market. Like we're all competing in this space and we've all kind of defined the space in the same way. And so therefore we're chasing these tiny differences within these spaces. So Ryan, I was down at Walgreens the other day and I'm standing in front of the vitamin shelves. You've been there before, I'm sure, you know, hundreds of bloody vitamins that you can buy. And I'm just looking at it thinking, bloody hell, how do you make head nor tail of this lot? And my eyes got drawn towards these products. And instead of saying calcium, men's vitamins, women's vitamins, 50 years old and above or whatever it may be, or silver or whatever it is that they have nowadays, I was really interested and I actually took a photo of it. They said, and this was like the big text that drew my eyes, they said sleep, stress, chillax, combating you need more chillax calling in your life I've, I've told you that many times <laughs> yeah i bought 10 of them yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it made me think yeah and then i looked at all the other ones and there's there as you're aware there's hundreds of the bloody things i thought that's how they're differentiating themselves and that is how i would look at something it's like what's the business problem right yeah makes yeah. sense yeah, and yet it's so intuitive if you're on the production side, if you're the business, to focus on the attributes, to focus on what you're selling. Like, I know this is vitamin B12. Like, that should be what people are. But people are not looking for vitamin B12. I've, I've just dug myself a hole here. I have no idea what vitamin B12 yeah. does. But it's kind of the point, right, is that yeah. this is almost a curse of knowledge phenomenon. I'm currently working on a book which should be ready sometime in the next 10 to 12 years. I was talking over with a friend about this book and I was explaining it and I did exactly what a lot of these vitamin manufacturers are doing. I was focused from my perspective on this phenomenon that I think is very interesting. And she said to me, but why would anybody else care about this? Like, what's the problem that this would allow people to solve? And that was yeah. very helpful for me to reframe it. Yeah. So, you know, to reframe yeah. it away from vitamin B12 to yeah. sleep or whatever that the problem is that people want to solve. Yes. So I think this is very common. I want to know why vitamin B one two three four five six and seven are not really important. Yeah, no, those are you don't want those. Those are our inferior vitamin Bs. Anybody will tell you that. You want to go straight to twelve, twelve or nothing. I think. Yeah, and coincidentally, we then also had a pickle 
that one of our listeners has written in basically saying so, so you, went, you went from the vitamin aisle over to the pickle aisle um, <laughs> and you're just kind of like walking your way through the store I do love a pickle. I tell you what, I do. We were actually in Publix the other day, and I, I was filling the cart full of pickles, and I was thinking about this as well. Did you tell your wife, this is for the podcast? This is for the podcast. Yes, I need more pickles. So for those people that don't know what pickles are, they're basically business problems. And a listener has written in basically saying, how do I differentiate my offering and my experience? So we're going to differentiate ourselves a little today because we theme two things on this show. One are pickles which is, as I say, business problems. And if you have a business problem, you want Ryan and I to pontificate about how to resolve that problem, then all you need to do is go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. And you can actually even record your problem. The second thing we do is five rules, which are five rules for whatever it may be. And guess what? We're really providing value today, mate, because it's we're going to do both at the episode. same time. I hope none of the listeners were driving at this particular time because I'm sure that they would have nearly crashed in excitement of us doing Pickle and Five Rules. Yes, too exciting. Can't even handle it. Like I said, I, I think this is super common that we don't look at things from the customer's perspective and so therefore we fail to differentiate the offering because if you're focused just on vitamin you know i assume vitamin b12 is more or less the same regardless of who's manufacturing it but there are ways that you could potentially differentiate your offering by getting outside of the offering itself and more into the experience yeah yeah and one of the things that bugs me and i tweeted about this a little while ago i ordered some vitamins because my kids are into all this stuff and they tell me what i should have and what i shouldn't have and I ordered this jar of B12, in fact it was, and it came in a blue bottle, which was probably four or five inches high, okay? And when I opened the bloody thing, it was about a quarter full, if that. And it really annoyed me because I was just thinking of sort of the waste and all that type of stuff. And they had also made the bottle dark blue so you couldn't see it. And obviously, they're doing all these things on purpose. But as an experience, it just made me go, nah, I think that's... that's yeah, but it's not wasteful, Colin, because inside that bottle was enough cotton for you to be able to sew yourself a shirt. <laughs> so it's just, it's, they're, they're doing you a favor. They were. So let's get into it. So we're talking today about how do we differentiate our offering or our experience. And we've come up with these five rules. So rule number one is... Different means different, not just a bit different, okay? And for me, what I'm trying to get through to here is it's not about copying others, okay? All too often, I see organizations just trying to copy other people and make things a little bit different at the edges, and that doesn't cut it, basically. And I know we did a podcast a little while ago. We're trying to include the link in the show notes about best practice i know you've got some thoughts on best practice tell us about the problem with best practice my worry about best practice is that it's inherently reductive so that if everybody's pursuing the best practice then everybody ends up doing the same thing because apparently there's there's one single best practice and so it's not an innovation strategy pursuing best practice might be a way of getting you up to par bringing you up to a level set but if all you do is pursue best practices, then there'll be nothing to differentiate you from anyone. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. You hear this when I'm teaching branding, I will talk to my students about a Me Too branding strategy, which is a label that's been around for a long time and maybe needs to change now. But essentially, it's what you're describing, which is where, well, we're going to make our brand be as close as, as it can be to the leading brand in the category. Like, we're going to pursue them. And I talk about how, what a bad idea that is. Like, sure. customers need a reason to choose you. And so if you don't have like a difference that you can claim and that is articulable, something that people understand and can recognize. If your vitamin B12 is 0.001% purer than your competitors, like that's just, that's hard to get your arms around. Like nobody's going to really care about that. So it needs to actually be different in a way people appreciate. Yeah, so I, I totally agree. And and the other one that I've been finding interesting recently, so you obviously know that I love technology, so I've been playing about with chat GBT. I subscribe to it now. And the interesting bit that I'm finding with that is that obviously the data set for chat GBT has effectively been the internet, okay? So the danger is... If you are ChatGPT or your AI, how do I differentiate my experience or whatever it may be? And you think that's a bit of a shortcut to working it out. It's going to give you the average. Does that make sense? So by definition, because it's drawn all of the data from the internet, if everybody's talking about the same thing and everyone's providing the same experience, then guess what? The answer will be the same as well as everybody else and therefore you're not going to differentiate yourself so that's what we mean by differentiate different means different not just a little bit different at the edges and i think the other thing i would add to that it's just come through my mind is the danger is, is if you just do little bits somebody can easily come along and copy them they're not going to give you a big change so i think that for me then leads us into rule number two And rule number two is be innovative and disruptive, okay? And if you think about the big changes that have happened and the big improvements that have been made, it's been from somebody who has looked at the market, whatever they're in, from a completely different angle and come at things in a completely different and disruptive way, haven't they? Yeah, I agree. A lot of times where you see these kind of the commoditization of products or the commoditization of experiences, it's a lot of times where people are competing within a mutually agreed upon structured market. Like we're all competing in this space and we've all kind of defined the space in the same way. And so therefore we're chasing these tiny differences within these spaces. And what often happens is a competitor will come in and kind of knock down the barriers of that space and innovate in completely new and different ways. There was a book that came out several years ago called Blue Ocean Strategy, which is essentially making that argument. They, they have lots and lots of examples, a good book. But essentially, they make that argument that we can kind of limit our own thinking by just continuing to compete in the same ways that firms in this space have always competed. And they said that's that's a mistake. That's kind of also a reductive strategy long-term. Yeah. For me, what that highlights is the large mature industries and the large mature companies, they're all blinded by this is how we've always done it. This is what we're going to do for the future. And again, if you go back to, well, how many companies 
from the 1920s are still around. There are not many. And if you think about where most of that disruption comes from and that innovation comes from, it's from startups. So if you think of all the startups that have happened over the last 20 years, and obviously the tech companies and everything else are classic examples of it, they've attacked the market from a completely different standpoint. And I think that's what's needed. And for some reason, large organizations are just incapable of doing that, aren't they? I can't think of, can you think of any organization that has completely changed their experience and sort of self-disrupted? I can't think of any. I mean, I can think of companies that have moved into new spaces and been innovative and disruptive in that way. I'm going to embarrass you by mentioning Apple as being one, one that you apparently didn't come up with. But yeah, I wouldn't frame it in terms of them having changed their experience. I think Apple's experience has been pretty consistent. They've been disruptive in, in other ways. The one that just came to my mind was was Lego. Yeah, I think, I think that is a good example. Yeah, mainly because my grandkids are into Lego and we've just been to Legoland and they obviously have Lego movies and they have Lego everything. And I was talking to my son-in-law about it. At the end of the day, it's a bloody plastic brick. Yeah. I mean, how much more commoditized can you get? And they've lost their patent or whatever it was that they had on it. So anyone can produce them. But they've still managed to keep things going, haven't they? And differentiate their experience. So, Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's actually a really great example, because when I was a kid, Lego sets would come as kind of a model of something, you know, a building or a vehicle or something. But the way that you played with them is that you'd build that and then immediately take it apart. And then now it's just the bricks that you kind of build your own thing with. I think increasingly it's more like a collectible model. I think that when my kids play with Legos, it's much more common for them to build the thing that came in the box and then put it on a shelf. They're so well designed. It's so beautiful to look at that we don't want to take it apart and do something else. Yes. And clearly it's gone to different age groups. Yes. Now. And some of the bloody stuff is so expensive, basically. I mean, you know, a lot of money for people to buy. And the technical side of, they have some of these, I don't know what they call them, techniques or whatever it may be, where they're actually virtually robots and yes. stuff like that. So, yeah, no, I mean, I, I must admit, I do admire the Lego brand. I think they've done a, a really good job from a marketing perspective. Yeah, and, and to your point, taking something that is a commodity, these plastic bricks are, anyone can make them, and turning it into a differentiated experience by kind of breaking down the walls of that category. Here is Anna talking on the show. Hi, Colin and Ryan. I'm in a pickle. How do you operationalize your journey mapping? We don't want CX to become some fluffy thing that is not practical enough. Therefore, we want practical steps on how to get started the right way. Thank you. Anna's pickle was wonderful. Would you like to appear on the show just like Anna did? If you want to record your pickle, go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle and look for the big red record button. We'd love to hear from you too. The other thing I just remembered that Lego do is they involve customers a lot in the design of their services 
and the new products and stuff like that. And the other thing that I think that they do really well is effectively the user guide or the instructions. Yeah. Again, it's something simple, but we all know from putting flat-packed furniture together, what a nightmare some of the diagrams can be. And they don't think about it from the customer's perspective. But again, I think Lego do a really good job in in explaining what to do, putting them in different bags so you don't have to do everything at once and so on and so forth. Yeah. So anyway. Okay. So what else have we got here? So this is under the rule of be innovative and disruptive. So one of the other thoughts I had here was, and one of the ways you can do that is personalize things. So I think that People have been talking about personalization for bloody ages. Most organizations still don't personalize their experience. But I think those organizations that do and can, I think it's those small things that will make a big difference, basically. And lastly, when you're doing all of this, and this hopefully goes without saying it, it's experiment with the changes. It did make me think, though, that the problem, and I always go back to the large corporates, okay, which is probably a mistake, but I always think back to my past in large corporates. If I was being unkind or maybe factual. Factual is the best kind of unkind. Yeah. Yeah. Finance departments are not good at innovation and being disruptive. That's not their job. Yeah. It's how do you get that across? And what I was thinking is that you actually need the culture or the space or the room in a large corporate to be able to do that, which not a lot of organizations have, basically. Agreed. Uh, So number three, define the who and the how much. So what I mean by this is, we've talked about Apple and Lego so far, they know who their market is. So the who is, well, which customers are you talking about? Because it's difficult to provide that offering and that differentiated experience to everybody. In fact, I would even go so far as to say, I think it's a mistake to even try. Yeah, no, in fact, now that we're in the middle of this, we should have pushed number three up to number one. Like, I think that this is the place to start. You need to know who you are trying to create a great experience for. The same experience will be fantastic or terrible, depending on who it is that you are speaking to. Like, we've talked about the changes at Lego over the years. When I was a child, Lego sets tended to be simpler and that made them, that increased their facility for taking them apart and using them for whatever I wanted to build later. Right now, they're kind of more like models that you you display. That makes them less good for the old purpose, right? So Lego identified this new segment of the market, as you mentioned, kind of the older, the more sophisticated customer, and they recognized that we could serve that market better. But at the same time, arguably, they're serving their old market not as well. Because now there's a lot more specialized pieces. The sets are just are, are not as conducive to kind of the old way of doing things. That was a deliberate choice that they made. They recognized there are different segments in the market. This one will allow them to differentiate. It allow them to continue to be able to charge a large premium for what they're doing. And so they, I think that they made that switch. And I think it was a good business move for them largely. Yeah. And, and just building on that, I think what they feel that they've done is they concentrated on let me call it their core market, their core segment. But if you think about now, what they've done is spread downwards with Duplo to younger kids to get them 
involved and they spread upwards up the chain and therefore they now have different legos for different age groups all the way up to adults and then even segmented from there into star wars enthusiasts car enthusiasts so on and so forth so they've really segmented down into lots of different segments i think they've done it more i think about it the more i think it's a great example going back to the kind of the, the point of the five roles that we're introducing here created a great experience for each of those segments but those experiences are different these different groups of people want different things out of the experience of lego in this case and i would argue it's going to be the same for you regardless of what you're selling you need to know who you are selling to whose experience are you trying to optimize yes because different people want different things yes good point and what they've then done is they've extended that into other areas, haven't they, in terms of the movies to keep that enablement going and themes going, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. No, good. The other part of this one was also the who and the how much. And what I mean by the how much is how much are you going to gain by doing it? So if you go to the financial teams, they're going to go, that sounds a great idea, but tell me the revenue you're going to pull in. Tell me the costs it's going to be involved. So you've absolutely got to put all the finances together behind that to work out what all of that lot means. Yeah, we've said some things that might be construed as being conflicting. So the first point was you need to no, be that, different. We've never done that, have we? Don't worry, I'm going to clean up your mess, Colin, here. <laughs> no, we said uh, you need to make big changes. It needs to be very different. We want to innovate. We've also made note, though, of like how very small things like personalization can matter. So you know, do you need to go big or do you need to go small? It needs to be something that is appreciated and different in the minds of your customer. Sure. Right? And so this gets us back to the segmentation idea. Very small things can make a very big difference for your sure. customer. Yes. And very large changes can matter not at all. Yes. So this all has to be through the customer's eyes. Yeah. Here's the thing, though, for me, if you go back to that thing about personalization, although it's a small thing, it's actually depending on the level of personalization you provide, it's actually a big thing. Does that make sense? Oh, it's a big thing in the minds of the consumer, for sure. Yeah, right? but also it's a big change for the organization. So rather than treating the whole of the customers as, and I'm not just talking about putting the first name on an email, that's a little bit of personalization, but to actually personalize an experience from a one-to-one perspective effectively so a segment of one although it won't ever be a segment of one you get the idea i think it's it depends on the the level okay let's go into number four and again i think we've been talking about this with the lego example which is define the what so what are you going to differentiate yourself on are you differentiating yourself on your brand are you differentiating yourself on the experience? Are you differentiating yourself on the product? Let me be clear. Ideally, it would be everything. And I would even argue in the case of Lego, it probably has been. But you could just differentiate yourself on the brand. And if I think about it, you know, if I go back to those vitamin examples, I guess the interesting bit there is they're just differentiating themselves to a certain extent on the bloody label. I think so. You know? Now, whether you define that as the product or whatever, I don't know. But it's just the label is the thing that's suddenly attracting me to that product is not anything else. And there's not much of an experience that you can have 
taking a vitamin tablet, basically. I was struck by your your chat GPT example. From what I've been reading, these AI services have been propagating like crazy, just spreading like mushrooms. They're just apparently the AI models, so the kind of the product itself, the AI models are in this day and age not that difficult to build, from what I understand. Sure. But chat GPT has this massive advantage right now largely due to branding. They were the first out there. They captured the mind share. They're the ones that everybody thinks about. And so there may be other engines that are just as good or maybe even better, but they differentiated on brand in that they were the, and I will say that, you know, the user interface is very friendly. It does what it's supposed to do. Like They've done all that. But in terms of differentiation, I think that the major differentiation right now between ChatGPT and a lot of these other AI services is largely branding it's that we we know about them yeah and some negative stuff from things like bard i.e when they first announced it the question that they highlighted man like you, you gotta get, this is why launches are so important when you have zero information uh, about a brand or product or service yeah that initial bit of information weighs so heavily yeah the initial news about chat gpt was this is miraculous and then the initial news about bard was oh this thing broke and it's you know yeah uh, can you imagine being the team that was meant to have checked that or responsible for that they're probably not there anymore <laughs> asking so. bard to write a new resume for them yeah okay number five and this is where my bias comes in but Number five is experience is the hardest to copy. So differentiate yourself effectively by differentiating your experience, okay? And this is one of the learnings I had a number of years ago where one of my bosses talked about the fact that effectively the mindset and the culture of the organization, if you can start to shift that, can become your competitive advantage. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you start thinking about and you get everybody into a customer centric mindset that may take two or three years to do in reality. Yeah. If someone else, your competition are then starting two or three years later, you've got two or three years on them already. And as long as you keep progressing in your thoughts, et cetera, et cetera, then you keep that distance. It doesn't have to be about the label or whatever else it is that you're going to differentiate yourself on. The experience that you give your customers can be that differentiator. Yeah, I think it's a, a great point. I think there's also a defense there around, I'll put it, uh, customer information acquisition. So if I'm a customer and I've primarily chosen your offering because it has the, the best price for me, then as soon as I see another offering that looks comparable and has a lower price, that's a reason for me to switch. Yeah. If I'm with you, though, because I have appreciated the experience that you've given me, I can't really assess a competitor's experience sure. unless I go out and try it. But I don't have a reason to go out and try it because I'm very happy with the experience that I'm, I'm having right now. So there's different ways of categorizing attributes, right? There's there's credence attributes and there's experience attributes. And these experience attributes are, are in some ways result in stickier customer relationships because 
they can't be assessed without incurring those switching costs and actually going out and trying other things and certain products that's really hard to do. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because if I think of chat GBT, I've subscribed to it and I use it now every day. The interesting bit is I haven't used BOD. Yeah. I haven't gone to any of the other ones and gone, let me play about with these. I probably should, to be fair, to experiment and see what they offer. But I've already gone, this is bloody good, and this is good enough for me, and I'm going to start paying money for this. So why would I even bother looking at something else? Which is now an even further barrier to entry. But the experience with, there are these technological jumps where you remember the first, I will always remember the first time that I used ChatGPT, It felt like a miracle and also a little bit terrifying. And I felt that the first time I used Google Earth, right? When you, you know, you zoom in on the globe and you can find exactly where you are. And it just, it felt like such a paradigm shift. And I'm not going to recapture that somewhere else. Like the experience is so good. Why would I bother? No, sure, sure. It's like the first iPhone and all those other. But you see that it's interesting, isn't it? Because... That ties back into rule number two, doesn't it? Which is about being disruptive. And both all of those examples have been disruptive. And therefore, they're the examples that really stick in your stick in your brain. Okay, so let's run through these five again. So rule number one is different means different, not just a bit different. Rule number two is be innovative and disruptive. Rule number three is define the who and the how much. Rule number four is define the what. And rule number five is experience is the hardest to copy. And therefore, we hope that that's been of use. Not enough organizations differentiate themselves enough and they don't look across other industries and ask themselves. So it would be interesting, wouldn't it be, for one of the big corporates in the business-to-business world to say, what could we learn from Lego? What could we learn from the Lego experience? And there are absolutely things that you will be able to learn. Not going to go into them today. But my point is you've got to look outside your industry as a minimum and think of how can you apply some of the things you're seeing elsewhere as well. Yeah, the bow that I'll put on this. Think broadly about differentiation, right? So it's very easy to get trapped into this product mindset where, well, if we want to improve our vitamins, we need to add more of the vitamin or we need to add, to refine that, the product itself. Whereas when you take a step back and try to look at it from an experience standpoint, there's a whole world of innovation that's available to you. It's not just the product. You can innovate around the brand. You can innovate around the experience. Think broadly about this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Good. So we hope that's been of use to you and we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.